All right, great. I think we're recording. I knew we could do it. Yeah, we finally got there. So this, we're finally <coughs> doing a podcast after planning it for about eight years. Were there even podcasts back then? Well, yeah, there were. We were planning, we were planning it before they existed. Yeah, well, no, pod- they were eight years ago. Yeah, they were. I mean, but podcasts are, were, went through a. Um, they were hyped up for a while. I had a friend, uh, Steve Gibbons, who developed a, a podcasting. Uh, it was it was a platform to publish po- podcasts, training podcasts, and they they sold that. Um, and then podcasts kind of went quiet for a while, and now they're all the rage. Well, they are for me anyway. Hmm. It's audio Netflix. But now I see a lot of the podcasts are actually just seem to me like TV shows, like the Joe Rogan experience and all those where they're actually sat there and they've got cameras on. So what's the difference between a podcast and a, and a show? Or is a podcast now a, a visual thing as well? Because my understanding was it was like, you know, Serial was the first kind of huge one, right? So it was like digital radio show. I think the the argument that I understand and and people like Joe Rogan go on about is that it's it's the return to long form. So we you know we can stay on here for ten minutes, twenty minutes. We could stay on for hours, but that would upset people. Um, but you know it it's a it's completely unfiltered. Anyone can set up a podcast. Um, if you want it to be a a video podcast, that that's up to you. But anyone can set it up, and there's no one getting involved to dictate um, what's going to be on there. Any uh, sponsorship um, conflicts of interest, and I think that that's what what's interesting. The the again the arguments that I I hear is that we're now living in this ridiculous um, scanner timeline, like a few items, maybe share it out with your friends, um, and that that's about as deep as you go. You got television companies dictating that you're going to do a, a 10 minute segment before there's a, a an advertising break. And I think the 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 joy that everyone's talking about with podcasts, it's a return to long form, and people doing two three hour podcasts, and that's up to them. You're you're free to go and do that. And people consumers being certainly like myself, but consumers being bored of um, the short form, the kind of controlled short form content that is a byproduct of the advertising model that you have on television. Right. What, what's the world record for a podcast? That's a good question. I don't know. I don't know. Let's but go for it. I think well, it's probably got to be... still here this time next week. It could be. We could we do the Itaboo sit-in podcast. And the record. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, I mean, Dan Carlin... Dan Carlin's podcasts are very, very long. And uh, that, that was my biggest introduction to long form, I think. Um, he, he's got his, I think, it, what's it called? Um, something to do with Armageddon. Anyway, it's his, his, it's his history of the First World War. It's in six parts. Each episode is, um, <clears throat> excuse me, is about four to six, <clears throat> excuse me, is about four to six hours in length. And I was totally captivated. So you're talking about 36 hours or 30 to 36 hours, roughly, of audio that you're going to sit through. And and it's brilliant. 
You know, he goes into the First World War history and, and you're, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say captivated because it is a long period of time, but you, you get into it and you get into a depth that you wouldn't get if it was a, a kind of 60 minute with two ad break kind of um, documentary slapped on TV. Mm. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get more into that. I used to listen to the odd one at the gym, um, but someone gave me a great idea because like my, you know, Leo, who's my son at five now, and we still like put him to take him to bed and he wants us to lie in there with him which is cool, but it takes about, you know, I quite like spending the time with him, but it takes about 30, 40 minutes sometimes for him to nod off. It's, it's terrible. And someone said they had the same with their son, so they started listening to podcasts, just put the put the earbuds in. They just lay there next to him, like, while well, you're listening to some show, so that's what I'm going to do. He'll probably start taking them out and listening to them himself. Yeah, I was going to say, get suitably. Get, get him listening to some Sam Harris podcasts and getting some deep ph- ph- uh, philosophies. Yeah. Yeah. So you, I mean, you obviously just got back from the UK and you're, you're doing the, what, what was the name of the conference? It was the in-house, uh, in-house recruitment summit or in-house recruitment expo summit. Quite a long Drawn out name in well, Telford. Really? Telford, the, the Telford International Center. Mm. I know that, that was Never the first. Never been to Telford before. Right. I waved, I used to wave at it on the way to um, Manchester. Really? I did, someone mentioned that it was a one of those new towns. My, my, my history and geography of the uk these days is terrible after not living there for a while but is it a new town it seemed it didn't seem to have much we didn't we didn't we didn't make it to the center but it didn't seem to have much kind of a way of historical architecture and stuff going on unless you count b&q and mole pins i don't know i don't know yeah but, uh... anyway yeah we were there we were there on tuesday exhibiting and um, I did a masterclass in how to build and um, how to build vibrant talent pools for maximum return on investment. So that, and, and that gotta, approach. Gotta get some snappier, snappier titles for these things. But that, that approach, if you're going to summarize the approach without titles, if you're going to summarize the, the kind of DNA of what it's about, how, how, are you, how would you describe it? The, the expo or the, or the, the masterclass? The masterclass. Uh, it's about, well, first of all, starting by defining what is a, a talent pool, how we see talent pools, what exactly, you know, different people have different definitions of what they are and what they aren't. Um, but, it, 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 you know, in brief, it's to knock your database into shape so that you've got fresh talent moving through that and then it's actively being worked and segmented so that you can, uh, you have more time to build relationships with the people that are in there and obviously develop those relationships, which will give you a competitive advantage when you're looking for the, for the best talent, as opposed to them being in perhaps a static database. It's just what we might call a stagnant pond, a few prams and stuff thrown in there. 
if you're from the part of the world that I am. But um, yeah, so you know, it's about it's about working those pools, baby, and and segmenting them, and getting out the right message to the right people at the right time, so that those databases are brought to life, and you actually can build relationships with the people in there better. We and that this this links in, of course, with the work that you you especially were doing with Greg Savage. Yeah, well, Greg's all about um, you know if you if you if you're just fishing in the same pond as everyone else, you know, it, definitely candidate attraction, as we know, is is evolving. You can't just find salespeople on LinkedIn anymore, or teachers on you know the Times Education sites, and and you've got to be a little bit smarter, and you've got to open up those channels we're seeing that you know the channels as far as candidate attraction is going are getting more and more fragmented as people are looking to you know more inbound marketing strategies for their recruitment about developing content about pushing that out across social media about referrals about uh, job board aggregators about your your own websites and utilizing landing pages um you know so 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 across all those different channels um you want to be able to you need to to build your brand and obviously how you can um how you contact and how you develop relationships and communicate with those people is going to separate you apart when it comes to the crunch when you've got to find the the better people as opposed to perhaps if you're only utilizing one channel um which let's say you know might be job posting which is what its core debut does but if you're only utilizing job posting then you may be fishing in the same ponds as everyone else and just attracting active candidates do you have any and if you're not developing you know certainly that as well could be okay obviously if if you're getting a lot of fresh time if you've got great job adverts going out if you're not then developing and working the the database or the candidates that come in via separating them out and segmenting them out into talent pools based on a bit more than just skills sector location, do you know what I mean? Then then again you're going to be a little bit behind what others are definitely doing now. So if you're getting people in and not working those databases, they're just flat, and you're just putting flat job adverts out and and hitting people. Um, that others are, are hitting and not working them, then you're definitely going to be um, at a disadvantage, I'd say. Could you could you give any advice, or have you looked into what's what's a what's the sweet spot of touch points to a candidate? If you're going to list out the ideal candidate experience, could you define that? Because you know you, you're talking about healthy versus unhealthy talent pools, and and of course, an uh, unhealthy talent pool is one where data goes in and it and it's left, and it's just a repository of it's a search repository of CV data. And the idea of a talent pool, of course, is it's live, it's updated, um, it interacts with the candidates. Is there any sort of best practice that you'd advise in terms of the number of touch points, not overdoing it so that you're spamming people? Have you put any thinking into that? I mean, no, I don't think there. Aside from like common sense, you know, if you think about any, you know, obviously the 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 nuts and bolts of it will depend a little bit on your business, the business strategy and your recruitment strategy as to how you set up your talent pools and the the journey that people will be on 
in them, you've obviously got to have good entry and exit points if people drop out of the process, so on and so forth. But I think if you work to any good marketing principle, you know, and keep that in mind, you want to be contacting people when you've actually got something to say. You want to be contacting them with content that's interesting to them. Um, and you don't want to leave it too long and you don't want to, you know, contact them too much. Certainly, if you are going through stages of the actual recruitment process, then they need to be updated. You know, surveys that we've done um, when we've asked both kind of recruitment agencies or candidates what they feel is, you know, important areas. Historically, I think recruitment agencies have in the past felt that they were, uh, you know, candidates wanted the better jobs or the better roles, good kind of sector knowledge and understanding of the space. And candidates are saying what's most important to them is is good open communication and being honest. So I think as a rule of thumb, if you make sure that you're updating people, even when nothing's happening, you know, like any good business should do. If, you, if you've purchased something from a business and you're waiting for it to to be delivered, let's say, and, and you just don't hear anything, you start to get a bit antsy. And all it can take is someone to send an email out saying, yeah, it might have been a while and you've not heard anything, but it's still everything's still okay here. And that's the same if you're, if you're applying for a role, right? You know, people just are looking for an update as to, as to what's happening, keeping them informed. Um, and that, you know, again, if you're not even going down the application process, then it might just be sharing of of um, content across social media it might be a quick update as to you know a, a touch point to say hello how are you doing but that that's the work that you do on on those talent pools really so you can you, you'll understand a little bit more about their interests behaviors motivations as opposed to just skills and sector location as to as to what they're up to what type of role it is you know etc and so on would, and what, what advice would you give to uh, an agency that looks to LinkedIn as its sole talent pool versus building your own? Um, I mean, you, you, you then you then depend on, you know, a big, a big part of your business strategy is probably beholden to what LinkedIn do in the future. You know, if LinkedIn switch you off or if LinkedIn want to start going into becoming a recruitment agency or if LinkedIn want to double their prices, then if you're completely uh, dependent on LinkedIn, then then you're hooked in as well. Yeah. You know, so I think whatever business you're in, again, you, you probably don't want to be leaving yourself out on a limb like that. You want to have your own people. LinkedIn, we know, is a great source of, of candidates, but um, it's it's certainly when we if we go back to Greg Savage's point of view, which we talked about, which is how you know you've got to be better marketing yourself. You know, recruiters have got to be better at marketing themselves and developing uh, their own brand and developing those communication channels and become almost like a trusted advisor to people. Um, you know, and if if we talk about that, then you need people in your own database that you you've got access to that others haven't. So again, if if you've got them, if you if you're just utilising LinkedIn but you're not developing a relationship, then everybody else that accesses LinkedIn has the same people. Yeah, agreed, agreed. But uh, and you, so, sorry, after sorry. you. 
No, I was just going to say it, it depends. You know, the difference will be obviously if those people are speaking to to multiple agencies, the ones that have got the better relationship with them will 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 win out. Yeah, agreed. And you you your background is in your background is in illegal poker, isn't it? <laughs> it wasn't. It was, there's was nothing illegal about it. I don't think. Oh right. Well, no, oh, no. Dressing, no, no. dressing gown poker. Dressing gown poker. I don't. Know. <laughs> I don't know what that is. Um, I, no. I did once have the bank refuse to give me, send me my, my my legally won cash. <laughs> but it was there was nothing illegal about it. Uh, that's a different subject. But no, you you yeah. do. You got a, you have got a background in PR, which of course relates into the marketing that we're doing. Yeah, yeah, I worked in video game um, PR for a while when I was when I was a lot younger. So I did a number of years, and then went on into into working with agencies. So yeah, I mean, you know, it's not certainly not any kind of marketing qualifications, but as a function of of any good marketing department you know PRs hugely important especially you know in video games when you're trying to get magazine coverage and separate yourselves out from others and and clearly what people are saying about your product and your game is more important than than any advert that you might put out you know so yeah learned a lot of good um, good principles and how important good PR is working in PR yeah, although it was a little bit, you know, talking video game PR back in those days, especially when it was just um, dealing with the kind of video game magazines. A lot of it was, again, it wasn't very formally trained PR. Um, so it was more just build, like it, as, as a lot of things are, right? It was building relationships with that industry and, and the journalists and um, being able to show your game in the best light. Yeah. Um, and going out and eating nice food and getting drunk and going to uh, crazy places around the world, showing people around. But I learned a good a good few lessons doing that doing that job. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess, I guess princ- the principles always apply. The principles of the game still run through whether you're marketing to candidates or to end users of games. Totally different spheres, products, but still similar principles or principles are the principles of marketing yes yeah exactly so martin that this we were we were we we had down that we were going to of course talk about the industry we have to talk about the state of the industry the change that's happened over the past years the the shift in job boards and and where they occupy in the toolkit of the the recruiter um, I mean, my, my observation is that, as so often happens, when new technology comes on the scene, uh, in this case, social networks and aggregators, there's always a cry of death of this and death of that. And the reality tends to be that there's a, a merging of different technologies. And in what I'm referencing here, you know, job boards, there's been a shift, there's change in the market for sure, but they haven't just disappeared or dried up. Um, you know, what are your observations of the industry? Where do you think things are going? What excites you? What concerns you? Um, I don't. I don't think too much. I don't think too much concerns me. 
um, I see I see the way things are going. You know, similar principles being applied. I think the phrase is like Primark or Prada, right? And we we've spoken about it before. So if you're if you're at the top end of of the of the market, finding those hard to find people, and you've got relationships with those, and you're in niche sectors, um, then you're going to be doing really well, and you're going to be able to bill whatever you like. And if you're at the other end where you're working on, you know, huge volumes and you can um, make those margins and you can deliver uh, at that end, then then you're going to be you're going to be doing well as well. But if you if you're somewhere in the middle and you're just solely relying on one source, whether that's you know LinkedIn or job boards or whatever you want to say, uh, then you're probably going to find it tough going forwards. I think there's no way around it because you know. It, <laughs> In-house, more and more people, more and more businesses are, are bringing people in in-house. They're separating that out from HR. Every day, there's more technology available to do this, that, or the other to help those people to perhaps reduce an agency's, um, you know, their their dependence on agencies or their reliance on agencies or or separate set themselves up having having come in from agencies previously, you know, where they'll no technologies they'll have some tools that they can bring in and work in-house and with the aid of technology um, they're certainly going to be able to fill a good proportion of roles themselves you know again talking about the requirement whether it's big volumes or whether it's hard to find people then then those companies in-house will definitely need those agencies but given that you've got technology great technology at your fingertips you've got know-how from you know you're not doing other tasks whether you're, you're previously concerned with HR and so forth you're just tasked with bring, bringing in those people why would you utilize an agency to find people that that you already know or that are easy to find you just wouldn't do would you I guess not. It just depends on the time of sifting through interviewing and whether that's something you want to outsource. But yeah, but again, then we're talking perhaps on volume. Yeah. You know, if you've, if you've got an in-house function, if you've got a team that that's set up for your requirement and they've got technology that allows them to, you know, whether it's work the database that they've already got, so segment, we're back to talent pools, right, and build those relationships and share content and build their own brand and, you know, work at events and, and do other things that we talked about in our masterclass this week that, you know, examples from what, what Boohoo were doing. If you're doing that and you've got that great employee brand and you're doing all the right things and you, 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 your requirement isn't at such levels, and again, they may step in and provide some of that, but certainly you're going to be able to do a lot of it yourself that perhaps previously was all going out to agency. If that agency is just bringing in the same people that you've got or that you can find, utilizing your technology to post jobs out, go to aggregators, put it on social media, create your own landing pages and so on, you'd be like, well, yeah, we've, we've got these lot. You know, we've already, we already speak to these people. We know who they are. What are we going to pay you for? But the, 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 the Prada Primark, um, analogy if i understand it correctly i understand that it's looking at the extremes of a market um but also it it's it's also saying whatever market you address make sure you address that market in absolutely the right way and if you're a recruitment agency it doesn't mean that you couldn't address that middle market but if you're going to do so you'd have to have a 
tool set and a process automation that would be able to replicate and improve on what an in-house department could do so that you could compete. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying that they just every one of them will, will die out forever, but it, it's clearly going to be much harder if you're occupying that space and you'd have, absolutely have to be doing all the right things to enable you to have, you know, access to those people and be able to provide services to those companies. So again, you might be in particular sectors or niche, but if you're saying, oh, we, we're, we're multi-sector and do you know what I mean? We're just hiring people off off job boards at this rate you're just going to find it tough i think yeah and yeah. and our observations or what we know about the recruitment industry it suggests that you've got larger agencies are 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 shrinking but the overall industry is growing with the birth of so many you know five to ten um you know businesses you know, just yeah, huge sprawlers of small businesses starting up as as a consequence of the cheaper technology, lower lower barriers yeah. to entry. Yeah, and I, and I don't know, I I couldn't say that this is happening now. I think I, you know, from what I hear, there are certain bigger players that are that are definitely getting into this or looking at. But you know, in other in other industries, we see it. They're 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 often slower to react, and some of them can can be taken down right by the um the young younger whippersnappers but i think some of the bigger ones as well will will be looking to acquire small teams or set up independent brands yeah you know off their one to enable them to compete there as well yeah makes sense yeah, i don't know i don't know that they're doing it right now but you you would hope or you would think that some of them are going to be like well we're too big and but you know we've been doing things this way for too long but if we acquire if we strategically place some of our guys to start creating smaller agencies that sit into this niche into this sector that you can can utilize these tools that can try different technologies and different methods but a part of our group then that would obviously be an interesting way to go for them i think without wanting to bang our own drum too much where how do you see job posting now fitting in to the the current landscape Yeah, well, again, I mean, you know, if you if 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 you speak to any anybody out there, certainly having conversations with with the companies at the summit this week, um, with all the agencies that we work with, I think there's always a need for fresh talent, right? You've got to work them when you get them, but it'd be rare that you'd be at the situation where we're just not gonna, you know, we just don't want to be speaking to anybody anybody knew so like i said there's, there's a fragmentation of different sources of different candidate channels but you you want to be on job boards for sure you know so there's some really successful ones and they're still they're still out they still got huge amounts of of candidates reading those you know from a from a brand awareness point of view uh as a source as a great source of of volume of candidates you know they're still they're still up there i think I think we definitely see from the research that we've done that agencies are, are very focused now on, on LinkedIn and very successful on LinkedIn. And you know, we've got Indeed and, and Google for Jobs coming into the space now. But um, certainly I don't think that anybody that we speak to ever says that 
or well, we're not posting any jobs at all to job boards, you know, what they might say is, well, we've reduced our job board spend or we want to see what's working for us or we want to we want to we want to be able to test and try different you know job boards and look at different um different sources there which something like uh Idibu can obviously help with because we we're quickly people can switch on switch off different job boards we've got the full analytics suite to show you where candidates are coming in from not only any candidates but the good candidates that you're actually shortlisting and progressing and so on and so forth. So I, d I don't think that's going to, you know, certainly not just going to drop off a cliff tomorrow. Yes, yeah, so I, I agree. The the other thing that I always um, kind of add when when talking about job boards is, from a job posting point of view, we talk to job boards. We talk, we, you know, we talk to social media. We we talk to endpoints that want the vacancy information. You know, we we obviously integrate with aggregators. So I, I always see Idaboo's role not so much as a, a place where we just post jobs to job boards, but that's one endpoint that we post to. But our role is almost we're in a, um, we're a, a place where you you know you put your job in, and we will send it out to any applicable endpoints where you can get the best candidates. Yes. Exactly. That's the first time you've ever agreed with me, Martin. This is this is amazing. <laughs> yeah. So, what what are, what other things in in the world of of technology have, have you been looking at? We've we've never. I don't think we spent much time talking about blockchain and those areas. Has there been any any kind of information with blockchain that you thought is interesting with application to recruitment? Um. No, not yet. I don't think. I mean, you know, clearly blockchain is is interesting, right? And what we've seen, all the stuff going on with with Bitcoin. But I just think I just think it's still very early. I just think it's still very very early. Um, so you know, there's a, there's infinite possibilities, but I just think there's there's also huge obstacles still for right now for blockchain and recruiting. That means I don't feel that it's like, you know, when we get in the in the very short term, we're going to see much change there. Yeah, it's and it's, I think the technology itself is still developing, and I think you know there's other areas that it's better perhaps suited to right now. That you know when we see that and see how it develops and see how it's working there, then certainly there'll be there, there's going to be areas that it can it can be hugely um beneficial to in in recruiting but i don't i don't see that as something that you know i'm expecting change in the next like 12 18 two years or anything like that yeah i've, I've heard of projects looking at uh, background checks so you get background checks baked into ledger systems and yet you also have yeah. the um the the good, the good sorry you got the really good use case which they are talking about implementing for say people like Microsoft or Google to use a personal details you can decide who gets access to what and then you, you know, potentially get some sort of kickback for giving access to your personal data and that then mm. extends to what you can be doing with CVs <laughs> yeah and again so for me you know I think developing on blockchain right now there's not there's probably a growing community right but it's still it's not 
it's still expensive to do so. I don't think if you wanted a background check, if you want to see what's the what's the you know the big, it only becomes an advantage if you've got like the 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 whole idea, the whole philosophy about blockchain is this ledger that is the the ultimate truth, right? It can't be fraud, you know, there can't be any yeah. fraudulent entries. It's all um, rubber stamp confirmed by the the community, but. You know, right now there's loads of organisations, government, and and things like that that are just miles behind. They're not ready to do that. So if you got a if you got a CV that was like, oh, we got some blockchain on this, you know, um, it's on the ledger. But but he did work at this government. Thing. Oh, that's all missing. You know, there's big chunks of it that aren't there. So it's not an extensive coverage of that background of that history because it's going to take a long time for all those organisations to get up to speed to be able to start you know publishing that on the on the blockchain ledger so you're always going to have big gaps until everybody's like committed to it and, and working with it which is how long is that going to be so you get a cv that you can only confirm half of it well that's like we got now right um and you go through all the expense of trying to develop it and then you've got on top of that perhaps legal or security concerns, you know, people talking about privacy and data and what's this and where's that going and am I going to allow that? So you layer all that on top of it. And like I said, the fact that we're probably in very, very early days yet with the technology itself, um, you know, I, I, I certainly watch and wait for a little bit. I, th I mean, personally, personally speaking, I think the, you know, when you talk about government agencies adopting blockchain. I, I see more that there will be startups who create disruptive technology, which eradicates the need for certain departments, I'm not saying they get, they'd be governmental. Um, I mean, if you take smart contracts, there, there's an area where you look at certain processes and systems, and there's opportunity for startups to come in and, and massively um, you know, create efficiencies that you don't have before. So you can go into the market and compete in a way that is unprecedented. And that's when the old departments or change will be when someone comes in and does something that just starts to rip up the current way of doing things and reinvents. Yeah, but they still have to do it themselves. What do you mean? Well, you, okay. How many people have worked in the public sector across the world? Yeah, I don't know the figure. Yeah, it's lots. Let's say lots. Um, you're going to need, even if these startups are doing their own thing, you know, look at the, the, the job center website that they did with, um, you know, previously the, the universal job match thing. And, you know, how long does it take these organizations to to get their shit together and do stuff and what state is it when they actually do it you know it's miles behind and all i'm saying is that the the advantage to this you know proposed solution with blockchain in recruiting is a is a um, you know completely authentic genuine background history of people but anybody who's worked for any of those organizations, those organizations themselves, even if there's startups and all kinds of stuff happening, the point at which they've got a blockchain record of everyone that's ever worked for them that's available to join that community for it to be rubber stamped in that history of the person that's applying for your role, I just think that's a long way off. 
do you think and if they're missing if they're missing that part of it what uses it to you well this this these years they were working with a government body so we've not got that but the rest of it we can vouch for it's like okay well the, the cv that you could have sent me five years ago is probably as <laughs> reliable but thanks what do you get what do you think is going to come first the um the government's adopting blockchain or uh, in recruitment or block, uh, or Bitcoin getting back up to $20,000. <laughs> they might be interlinked. <laughs> they might be, yeah. Might be yeah, Martin, one of the areas that I wanted to talk to you about was um, you you talk over as MD in Idabu, God, about seven years ago now, I think. It feels like 70. Was it just seven? <laughs> yeah. I think it's about seven, <laughs> seven years ago. And um, that, I know we've obviously talked about it other times, but I know that that's been a, a kind of you know, interesting experience for you. Not always easy and a lot of learning on the job. I, I just want to ask you a bit about that. There's, you know, the experiences you had. What, you know, what are the key things that you've, you've learned over the past seven years? Um, there's there's probably too much to even reel off now. I mean, every day you're learning about things. I think I think the main thing is just in regards to people. You know, w learning to work with and, and manage people, especially remotely, and making sure that you've got the best relationship that you can to allow you to, you know, for everyone to work as efficiently and as, and as happily as, as possible, really. Do you know what I mean? And, um, perhaps I was a little bit more old school, let's say when I started, because you come into it and you're just the person you are. And clearly there's a lot of pressure and there's lots of things that you want to get done and you can, start like you might have done in in you know when you're working alone where you can be banging and and shouting and and demanding things and you know it doesn't it obviously doesn't always work or doesn't work with everyone do you know what i mean so you've got to adopt a uh, a very flexible outlook and work with people as individuals to try and get the best out of people and that that's sometimes magnified um when you're working remotely you know, because it's difficult when you can't always have those face-to-face -face sessions. So, yeah. you know, really getting everyone to buy in to one kind of common goal and working together from from different parts around the globe. When you're not a huge team to start off with, although that, that could make it a bit easier. But it's, yeah, there's, there's challenges there. So I've learned a lot about um, about working with people, really. Well, one of my observations of of um, of working with people and trying to organise business is that you you can't change people. You people are not you you don't look at the work to be done and and look to kind of square peg round hole people. There are there are some people who are keen to work in new areas they they that's that's their their buzz they like to do new and different things but the majority of people from my observation you know, you have to look at 
what people enjoy and try to align roles to that because trying to any management approach which looks to force people into unnatural positions will never work out yeah i i'd agree with that i mean i think you know you've you sort of referred to there are people that are you know let's say multitaskers or multi-skilled and are happy to to get involved in lots of different types of work and different types of roles and can often surprise you and themselves in that actually i'm better at this and i enjoy this more you know um yeah but there there are certainly as i said at the beginning you know you've got to understand the the different types of people that you're working with because there's certainly other people that are just like look this is what i do and this is where i feel comfortable and this is what i feel i'm good at and and this is what i'm going to do and i'm not going to do other stuff you know and and clearly in a small business there's times when everyone's got a it's all hands to all hands to the deck or all yeah. hands to the pump i'm not sure which one it is. Yeah. <laughs> but but there's times when you know everyone's got to get involved and probably stretch themselves and do a little bit of stuff where they're they're outside of their comfort zone and clearly some people are only happy doing that for for you know a short period of time and others others are others are a little bit more more flexible in their outlook and like i say can often surprise themselves you know we say well actually I'm, I, I do enjoy this more than i thought i would and and, and can carry on doing that so yeah i've 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 learned um a lot about you know different um styles of 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 working i think with with different people around the world do you, do you remember when we were looking at the uh results only uh i forgot what it was called um oh row wasn't it results uh, a results only work environment yeah that's right yeah because we've tried lots of different iterations of of uh of ways of working that that i mean that was good in the in that you had to really define objectives and the the basis of the row environment is if if people hit their goals what they need to achieve you you don't hold any value on the amount of time they're working you're just after quality not quantity yeah and I think in principle, you know, that's absolutely fantastic. I think it's great. Um, I've never been able to, I think there's certainly, you know, obviously we're not, we're, we're, we're far from a startup, but we, you know, we're still a size and we're still, we've, we've been constantly growing that sometimes in the roles that we have, because we're not a huge team, it's, it's, Perhaps we needed to spend more time actually defining what those results, but then not every role, you know, if you're a product manager, you might say, well, we want to build a product that, that sells more, right? But, you know, so so how do you, you put in those, those kind of lines or those areas where you're saying, well, this is what we want to see on a weekly or monthly basis so that, there, you know, the actual time in between that is, is your own and you work as much as you need to to deliver that. Um, so yeah, I've never really gone too far down it. Although obviously we're we're flexible in the way we work, and people work from home when they want to, and it's not like we uh, we're watching the clock. You know what I mean? People come in early and leave early, and have longer lunches and go for lunches. So we we do incorporate that loosely, I would say, because we get the job done, and everybody's very committed and 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 you know wants to buy into that and doesn't want to let anyone else in the team down. So you'd probably go a bit too far the other way of anything. But but being able to define those 
things in, in is, is probably easier in some roles than others. And I remember reading the book when when we did read it, and that it was is it Best Buy supermarket. Yes. Can't remember. Yeah, and, I think um, it was Best Buy. Yeah. So again, if you're building a website and you're saying, well, we want to have this, and these are the you know. Um, these are the, the, the sign-off points. So these are the, the you know the sections that you want to get done on this time frame at this point. Then then clearly it's a little bit easier on those deliverables to to monitor it. But in in you know the principle of the thing, I think is a great one. And and what's your plans in terms of? I mean, if you're going to define Itabu now, I mean, Itabu has been through a, a period of change and and refocus. Do you, would you like to state? where Idabu is now, perhaps with some reference to where we've come from, but most importantly, where we're going. Well, it's all about candidate attraction for us. You know, we've, we've, this where we started off and we kind of had a brief sojourn into looking to do more with engaging of those candidates and we still offer some of those services for our for our in-house clients you know but for us now it's about bringing fresh talent in to your system working with them and managing them in those talent pools and then pushing them on um, to the next stages of either the through the ATS that we provide or back into your CRM if you're a recruitment agency so that's where we are and that's where we want to go with the partners that we work with so integrated um, further with the likes of Bullhorn and RDB from the Access Group, Vincherry and Bond Adapt. You know, we've recently revisited a lot of those integrations that we've got and we're working closer than ever with those partners and Daxter, of course, very importantly, to be able to deliver. Um, as we say, we understand that people have got different channels and different activities that they need to be doing to have a fully rounded candidate attraction strategy and also the candidate engagement. Um, and we deliver a specific area of that. Um, and that's what we want to concentrate on doing in conjunction with some some great partners. Yeah, we, the our refocus on how we work with partners has been great to reduce any toe-stepping and to have, it, it kind of gives you a, when you're only focused on your product um, inside a partner interface, you you become limited. But in being limited, you can then make sure that you're fixing the problems that you as a as a business in the the the, the market area you occupy that you fix them really well. And I think the uplift yeah. the uplift we've seen in you know the quality of our integrations and how that how that flows and we've seen better onboarding, um, lower support, because we are so focused in that single space, which is great. Yes, exactly. And that, that, you know, I think that is, that is perfect, particularly for the, for the, for the agency offering. Um, said it's slightly different for, for in-house, I believe. And also, you know, I really want us to, um, develop our, the product that we've got for RPOs, who I see as having a, a you know a big future as well. Yeah, agreed, agreed. There's going back to what you were saying earlier about that middle section between the um, the Prada and Primark. There's 
technology applications, which obviously we we believe we can be supplying, but a hybrid approach between in-house and agency um, and and tech applications that facilitate RPO businesses. So, yeah. So are there any areas that you'd like to reel go ourselves in? back in before we go full sales pitch? Yes. Yeah, exactly. For, for sure. For sure. <laughs> that, that wasn't the idea at all. Um, but it, are there any areas that you'd like to, to go into or talk about before we look at closing down the podcast? No, I've, en- I've enjoyed everything that we've covered. There's nothing really that, um, that I want to get on my soapbox about. Maybe on the next, maybe on the next episode. Yeah, great. We we should do a next episode and and do a focus in on subject at some subject area. It'd be good to do. Um, are there any um, any uh, any kind of uh, calls to action you'd like to say? Anyone listening that you'd like to tell them to obviously look us up. Any places to go? The best places to find out about Idabu, apart from our obviously our website idabu.com. Yeah, hit the website. Hit the website. Check out our LinkedIn and Twitter pages for all updates or subscribe to the newsletter. We've got a brand new white paper and it's just about to be released probably in the next, I'd say the next week or two. Great, just getting it, the the design's just being signed off now, which is all about um, candidate attraction and utilizing technology to to help improve on, uh, you know, the human connection. So don't be scared by AI and technology, but better utilize it to tick off the the things that you can automate and that can still be delivered of quality so that you can then build those relationships. So that white paper is going to be out. You can sign up and and subscribe to the website to make sure you're first in line to receive it. And, And that should be going out there in the next couple of weeks. Great. Great. Well, listen, Martin, thank you very much for hanging out and let's do it again soon. Yeah. Thanks, Steve. It's been great. Enjoyed it. Cheers. Cheers. Bye.